Good morning. As Pastor Dan told you, my name is Lucas Praber. I'm the intern or, or vicar here at Holy Word. The work of a farmer is really quite incredible. One of the only reasons I can say that with, with some real truth behind it is because I worked on a farm. I was hired onto a farm during my four years of college in New Ulm, Minnesota. And I was hired by a Christian family, and they, had a, they owned this farm, and they ran the farm pretty much by themselves. Every member of the family had a long list of things to do because they didn't really hire anyone else from outside the family. They hired one or two college students, me, and a mechanic. And so I would come in after classes and do some heavy lifting over here, and I'd feed some animals over here, and I'd help prep their, their feeding and their, and their bedding for later that night or early the next morning so that they wouldn't have to do it. I had some small contributions to make to their giant workload, but I still got to share some of that workload with them. But the real, the real thing I remember is not really sharing the, the physical workload with them. It was really sharing life with this family for four years. And I remember one such time where we got to share life together. It was my first day back in Minnesota from summer vacation. So I had a great first day back at classes and I come out to the barn and I, I look to see welcoming eyes and I see welcoming eyes, but they're also red and worn from crying. Just that past weekend, this family, this father and son, had lost their top milk-producing cow who had also been pregnant with twins. She got a, a, a crazy fever and they did everything they could to try and save her, to try and bring that fever back down, but they had to put her down. And for a farmer, that is just heartbreaking. They were sunk in the deepest of sorrows. And because of the relationship we had built in those first two years of working together, my heart sank too. And so we shared the burdens of life and we shared the burden of death together. It was situations like that one and many more that really made me realize that God wants us to share all of our burdens together. Life is full of burdens. It's a load and God wants us to share the load. As the Apostle Paul was writing his second letter to the Christians in Corinth, he had a lot of loads that were heavy on his heart. And if you know the life of Paul, if you're familiar with it, much like the people in Corinth would have been, you could think of a few things that Paul might have been talking about here as he writes about something that was weighing him down to an unimaginable degree. One thing you might think of is a riot that happened while Paul was in Ephesus. And to, to sum it up, basically the people in Ephesus rebelled against Paul when he told them, told them about Jesus. They wanted to kill him. One other thing you might think about is all the different beatings that Paul took on as he preached to, to the people about Jesus. He was whipped by the Jewish authorities and he was beaten with rods by Roman authorities. This wasn't just one strike and one little slap on the wrist and, 
oh, off you go, Paul. We're so unfamiliar in our, in our society, really, with the type of suffering that people underwent for that kind of belief, for their faith. And so I want you to think about just those few things, those few things that are part of a much longer list that uh, gets brought out later in this letter. But think of those things as Paul writes these words, verses 8 and 9. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. That's where Ephesus and Corinth were. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death. So often we talk about being pushed to our limits throughout our lives. Paul wasn't just being pushed to the limit here. He's, he's way beyond his limit. Or as he puts it, he is far beyond his ability to endure. I mean, just think about it. If you were beaten with whips or beaten with rods, how would you feel? As I thought about it through the week, I, I came to the realization that we would probably develop some sort of PTSD or depression or anxiety. So it's no wonder that Paul writes the way he does. He has all of these things weighing down on him and he's not so much despairing about the beatings, even though those took a toll on him, no doubt. But look at verse 9. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death. Paul was despairing over his death. He was pretty sure, he was certain that he wasn't going to make it through. His death had been sealed. There was no way through all of this that he was not going to die. And now we don't have to imagine anymore. We don't have to imagine what it's like to be beaten with rods or to be whipped because we all share the load of death's despair. How many people here have had a near-death experience? It's more likely that you've probably dealt with death in some form in your life, whether or not you've had a near-death experience. And that could be in your own life. Maybe you're dealing with your own death coming on the death of a loved one or a loved one dealing with a death of one of their loved ones. When you have death present in your life, you know the feeling that Paul is talking about in these verses. It is ominous. It is bone-chilling. And it really just pressures us down. You know that feeling of, that those feelings of pain and fear Doubt and despair, and those put us right next to Paul. They connect us to Paul. We share that load with Paul. And that load of death's despair weighs us down. It pressures us until we're beyond our ability to endure, so that we might even despair of life itself. So in dealing with death, we're way out of our league any other thing in life, you can really try to bandage over and move on with your life as if it's not there. But death, there's nothing you can do about it. 
There's nothing to stop death. There's nothing to undo death in our lives. But then you look back at all your other problems and you see that every other problem in your life, whether it's with money, with health, with your relationships, it is merely a prelude to death. Every problem in your life comes out of sin. And Paul writes to the church in Rome, to the Christians in Rome, that the wages of sin is death. So everything points to death. All our despair leads us to despair of death. And we can try to take that despair head on. We can say, I've got this. I'm going to do it. I'm going to just move on and take on my despair. But when we do that, we always find that it's a downward spiral that leads us further and further into despair when we try to take it on ourselves, when we try to shoulder our load on our own. We finally hit rock bottom where we're not able to endure anymore. And then we might say, God, I thought I was trusting you, but I was really looking into myself. I thought I could get myself out of this rut. I thought I could give something to myself to make myself feel better. Why, why would you do that? You and I have nothing in ourselves to lift the burden of despair from us. We're empty. We have nothing to bring. That emptiness, again, puts us right in Paul's shoes as he writes these verses. These, these feelings of death and despair throw us into a deep, deep loneliness. And it hurts. It really, really hurts. At least we have Paul to help us, right? No, no, not really. Paul can relate to us, but he can't help us. There is someone who can relate to us, even more so than Paul, and he can help us. He has shared and will share every load of despair that you have or have had in your life. He knows more about your despair than even you know. And he cares more about you than anyone else in this world. See, Jesus didn't have to enter this death-filled world, but he did. He willingly came down to this world, thus allowing death to be a part of his life. And even before he spoke his first word, the world tried to kill him. You see that in the upper corner Her this, it's a depiction of Herod, King Herod, ordering the murdering of all the babies in Bethlehem because he wanted to kill Jesus. The middle picture is a depiction of about 30 years later where the Jewish leaders and the Pharisees wanted Jesus dead. And Jesus knew their thoughts and he said, why are you trying to kill me? The bottom picture shows Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane where these Pharisees, these Jewish leaders finally conspired together and made a plan to kill him. 
So they found him there and dragged him off to Jerusalem to be crucified. And when Matthew wrote the account of this happening, this Garden of Gethsemane account, he notes that Jesus said these words in Matthew 26 to his disciples. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. That sounds an awful lot like what Paul is saying here to his Christian friends in Corinth. But more importantly, it sounds like something you might say when a loved one is struggling with death. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow because of death. You see, Jesus knows the dread of death that we feel. He feels it. He felt it here in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he willingly shares it with us. He comes up next to us to share our load of despair, of death's despair, and lets us know that we're not alone. You see, he he shared in that. And he comes up next to us to let us know that he is there for us when we feel that death's loneliness, the loneliness of despair is our only friend. And he gives us more than just a way to combat our despair over death. He gives us more than just an example of how to do that. He gives us the solution. Because he gave us himself. When he was crucified on the cross in Jerusalem, dragged off by those Jewish authorities, all our, all our fears, all our despair, they were nailed right there with him. And so even though Jesus despaired of death and he died, he rose again from the grave. And so he shared that load, but he shares another load with us now because he rose from the dead. God does not allow despair to reign in your life and he didn't allow despair to reign in Paul's life. Let's read these next verses and and see how Paul removes despair from his life. The middle of verse 9. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God, who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us again. On him we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us. Is there any mark of despair in those verses? Paul can't even think of it anymore. He can only think of God's deliverance. In verse 10 alone, Paul mentions deliverance three times. How comforting is that word when you're left by yourself, it seems, in your despair of death and yet God says, I have delivered you. When you feel that such a deadly peril, when a loved one is taken into the, into the heights of heaven, Before you're ready to let them go, how comforting is it to know that God has delivered you from that peril? Jesus shows you the marks on his hands. He shows you that he shares your load of despair and he shares the load of deliverance that he won for you. Because if Jesus was raised from the dead, if God raised Jesus from the dead, he has the power to do anything. God's ultimate power is that he raises the dead. Look back to verse 10. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril and he will deliver us again. 
There's a further promise there, not only that Jesus was raised from the dead, but that you and your loved ones will be raised from the dead as well. Paul isn't speculating at all. He's not saying, I sure hope God will raise us from the dead, or I think he might. No, it's a fact. God will do it. Since he raised Jesus, that's, that's a, a forerunner, a shadow of what will happen to us one day and our loved ones. We share in that deliverance. And when that final deliverance happens, that's when all our tears, all our despair will finally be gone. Our tears will be wiped away from our eyes. We won't even remember what despair or sorrow or tears were. That's why we can join Paul in putting our hope in God that he will continue to deliver us again and again and again in our lives. But God hasn't returned yet. He hasn't given us that final delivery. And so we continue to share the load. We share the load of despair. We share the load of God's deliverance. And we share the load of joy in prayer. Listen to Paul's words in verse 11. And I'll start at the, at the middle of verse 10 at the beginning of the sentence. On him we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us as you help us by your prayers. Then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favor granted us in answer to the prayers of many. How do you find joy in prayer? Think of it this way. We often think of prayer as a direct line to God. And that's true. That's not wrong. But for today, think of prayer as a holy triangle. Because when you pray, not only are you praying to God, but you are also praying for others. And thus you are connected to God and to others by your prayers. When we see trouble and death and trials in our loved ones' lives, we pray to God on their behalf. We pray for them. And then when we see God's deliverance, when we see his grace showered down upon our loved ones, we join them in giving thanks. We share the load of their joy. And when death does come into your life, don't let that think that, don't, don't let that be a marker of unanswered prayer. No, death is a way that God answers our prayers. Because death for a Christian really is deliverance. That's why here at Holy Word we call our funerals victory celebrations. God has granted an ultimate victory to the loved one for whom you prayed and for whom we prayed so dearly. Paul gives us a little glimpse of heaven a little bit later in 2 Corinthians and he calls our bodies tents. They're just temporary dwellings for our souls. And our permanent home is in heaven. When we reach heaven, the joys that await us there, they far outweigh all the despair, all the sorrows that we have in our lives today. Despair, deliverance, joy. 
three different types of loads, but all loads meant to be shared by God's people. Paul kept that in mind. Paul shared his, his heavy burdens with his God and with his Christian friends. That's what kept him going because by sharing his load, by sharing the burden, by sharing the load, he knew that he was never alone. Are you alone? Don't let yourself be alone. Share the load with your Savior God who cares for you so, so much. Share the load with your brothers and sisters in Christ who love you. If you see someone trying to carry their load by themselves, run over to them, grab a corner, grab a side, grab whatever you have to and help them share the load. Because when you do that, you will be reminded and they will be reminded that you are never alone. Amen.